Greetings, range seekers, and welcome back to another round of bendability with me, Emmett Lewis, the Splits Wizard. We are back for a new year and a new season. This is our first episode of uh, 2022. Uh, apologies, to everyone. I kind of got waylaid. We just got after the Kickstarter, we got much busier than I had time to do some episodes of the podcast, so things had to be shelved for a bit. So, for that, please accept my humble apologies, but understand that there was a lot of going on behind the scenes. There still is a lot going on behind the scenes. I am super busy at the moment, but that's okay. That's the nature of the business. Uh, once again, thank you anyone who supported the Kickstarter. It was fantastic and is keeping me busy, as you can guess. Uh, other than that, I suppose we're just going to get into it and kick off. Uh, we're kicking off a new season into our series of episodes. We're going to do a series of episodes on maps of the body. I think this is kind of important for basically like it's slightly off topic. I will admit that it is not flexibility work exactly, but I think it is very important to particularly when we start getting a bit more into topics such as emergence and other th kind of things, particularly even just flexibility anatomy and stretching anatomy, which we will be doing further and further as we sort of be looping around revisiting and revitalizing older topics as well as the season and series continues. I think it's useful to start to look at this idea of the maps of the body and as you probably know like let's face it if you're listening to this pod podcast you're probably kind of interested in anatomy and sports science and general science and stuff like that maybe you're not but you know this general trend will be that we have these kind of maps of the body these kind of conceptual frameworks that we work with a lot of the time we kind of repeat them in some ways it is not to call anything out but it can be a bit monkey see monkey do or repeating things you've heard without actually verifying and let's say it, it's very hard for us to be a full-time anatomist anatomist however you say that anatomist depending on which way we want hard for us to be one of these at the same time do a sports coach and other things so we're relying on these kind of maps of the body as well as the general idea of a map is it is to simplify something incredibly complex and this is one of these things it's like oh if you want to get somewhere then we need a map that shows us the the kind of features along the way that we might encounter or it will have an ontology to it that it will take a set of data and kind of build an agreed upon framework that everyone will agree that this is coherent and that we can work with so you can speak to people and go oh are you go up to the tree and if that person didn't have the same data conception of a tree then they would say well what well, don't you mean the donga longer over there and you're like no no the tree and we have a, a paradox of tongues i suppose there so we have this idea that these maps will be built up at the same time not all maps are useful for all things and not all maps will guide us exactly where we want to go so i find that kind of it's a very interesting concept for me because we we have let's say Let's say we have our muscle map, but that doesn't really show the map of the nerves. So we could have a map that would have layers. Same way we could have a street map that would show us a, where the streets are, where the pavements are. They could show the electrical pipelines and the sewage and the waste flow and these kind of things. And that could be amazing if you needed to know where sewage pipes were. Whereas if you're trying to just drive your car down the road and look for house number 14, then things can... The sewage pipes and the marking and all this can get very complicated. So this is the idea that we need the right map for the right job. And then at the same time, if we haven't gone there, 
then we're still relying on kind of secondhand information. And that kind of, it's, this is where we get into the maps of the body, is that maps, they will be built up over time, generally with successive additions of various practitioners in the field. And this is where things get complicated because initially a map will be defined by someone. Someone will go in and go, this is the map as I have seen it and I have defined it like this. And then they, the next person will come along and they possibly will assume this person told the complete and utter truth and they will just repeat what they said and then they will add their concepts on top of it. And then we can slightly get into a situation now in this in this podcast in this episode i'm actually going to go into uh energetic anatomy that is kind of in the psycho spiritual realm of the chakras and the nowadays and all these kind of weird things not that i necessarily believe them or anything like this but i think it's very good for illustrating the point i want to get across more so than if we were to go into a sort of more modern anatomical textbook or something like this which we will be doing as the series progresses we're going through all these kind of maps so what we kind of know just say as an example from our modern anatomy is that the study of anatomy in the west now there's obviously been documented in other terms and other things started with a man called galen and that was back in if i remember off the top of my head so i think it's the the first of fifth century bce before the common era and he made a map based on linking he's basically dissecting animals because you know dissecting humans has always been a bit of a taboo subject then he kind of listed out a lot of features of animals and put them onto humans and then it was assumed that galen was right this is the kind of thing it was assumed he was right and it took i think 1300 to 1600 years later before people started questioning it or before doing dissections of humans were kind of allowed to uh to be find more precision and go actually there's a lot of things wrong with what galen said that we've assumed for 1300 years that's a very long time of being wrong or using the wrong map uh you know we know medicine like medicine back in the day and you know possibly it was questionable possibly it was hit and miss my favorite kind of thing that i found when i was researching for this podcast i found a a cure for one of the kings that was developed miracle medicine that involved like grounding grinding up 500 skulls of dead humans who died of certain diseases and making a kind of medical elixir powder out of it then feeding it to someone it's very expensive stuff and you know yeah so we know it's gonna be a bit of his but maybe there was something in it that worked and that's the kind of thing uh this is kind of the point on the map is the replication of a map without questioning the map and obviously we're in a we're in an era of information can be shared faster maps can be con- con- questioned but the longer a map has been around the more likely it is to remain kind of either dismissed or unquestioned and that's one of these things i find kind of interesting i'm sure a lot of you will it's like oh something's been around a long time people will start like using it to put more and more layers of stuff on top the map becomes almost a container and it becomes like this is like this so we'll put it in there and we see this in a lot of like the early age sciences of the categorization and there is a tendency in humans to want to categorize things it's like 
We see this, uh, you know, there's a reason for this, some reason why we're covering this podcast. We see, like, this is, someone will categorize a position, like, this is a hamstring stretch. It stretches the hamstrings. It, the only thing it does is stretch my hamstrings. So, whereas we know, like, if we look at anatomy, it's continuous across the whole body. And, like, the stretch might not actually be the hamstrings, or it might not, you might not feel it in the hamstrings you might feel it somewhere else that's a different topic but at the same time you're using a map that says it should be this when you actually experience something different so this is kind of one of these things that's interesting about maps when we start repeating maps and we start using maps that someone has gone up with and then you know there has to be a kind of an agreement on the map but at the same time the map could be wrong the basis of the map could be wrong or could be incorrectly application of what someone was trying to say. So this is what I find is kind of interesting when we look at these kind of older systems where, you know, if we look at the earliest kind of maps and the earliest kind of anatomy maps, they'd have a marking of, say, the organs where they were, but then they'd also mark in, you know, planets would be related to certain things and the qualities of the planets and the astrology and astrological science, they would be put upon the body as well. Not maybe because they say, oh, the sign of Taurus is in your hand, but maybe because a quality that people would say, once again, the sign of Taurus would be like a container for concepts and other stuff, and that would be put into something. Once again, I'm not right or wrong. I just, I'm going to keep saying that through the whole podcast because it's we're going to go a bit weird, I suppose. So I think this whole energetic anatomy is kind of one of these, it's one of these things that's kind of interesting and also not so interesting it's, it's very interesting but then also it can be a bit tedious if you people know people from you know we've all met people who are into the new age and other kind of stuff like this and it gets a bit you know a bit tedious anyway but one of the things what we'll find if we go back to the earliest kind of representations of say the chakra and the energetic system it almost takes on a quality of one a meditation aid like if we look just very simply at what they're saying we have this idea for those who don't know chakras are kind of they come from the kind of indian vedic traditions and these kind of things where they would be part of meditation systems that would also be used as containers and other concepts put into it but the very earliest kind of uses of a meditation aid is like oh we want you to perform a visualization of a disc which is on the transverse plane of the body it has this amount of petals and you will hold this at the same time you're going to say a sound and possibly visualize a god or a goddess or some spiritual entity at this point now what we can do is if we understand our meditation techniques we can understand well this they're actually just trying to get out of complete meditation system where you are engaging the visual aspects of the brain you're engaging by using a mantra or a sound. You are engaging the narrative aspect of the of the brain. And then you're also, because you're sitting still, hopefully, and not fidgeting, you're also engaging the, the will, the will to stay still. And you're also putting the mind into the body at successive points or successive parts. This will give us a more complete meditation rather than if we're just doing, say, a concentration exercise where I'm just focusing on, say, a ball. It's kind of, you can see how it's it's more layers to it. And these kind of aids for the, for the body would have been, you know, useful for people to pick up on. At the same time, if it doesn't line up with reality, then it won't have anything to hold onto 
So we have these ideas of body scanning meditations and, you know, people who have done the dissolutions with myself in the channel, if you haven't done them, check them out. They're a lot of fun. If you haven't done these kind of dissolutions or you don't have a grasp for the the anatomy of the area, now we use just vague anatomy, just arms, limbs, basically things we can relate to, we get much deeper. Whereas if we haven't cut anyone open and explored what's inside, then we need to find some kind of thought form or imaginative conception to find something inside the body to lock onto. And that's why I think these things are kind of interesting because we have these ideas of the Naudis or meridians or other kind of energetic structures in the body that can hold the thinking. If we think about what can actually hold the thoughts, you know, we're speaking conceptually here, so not exactly the thoughts, but we can hold the focus of the brain or the awareness. Well, the brain can do that, obviously, because that's aware of itself. Hopefully it is, and hopefully not too engaged on Instagram. But at the same time, we can think that the the brain can be held in the nervous system to a large degree. And that's kind of one of the things that we think about where we hear about these energetic systems, we hear about these nowadays and channels that permeate everything in the body. And then, you know, we go to these old texts and they say there's 40,000 nowadays or 72,000. 72 is always one of these auspicious numbers or 108,000 nowadays. What they're really saying when they see a big number, like over a thousand in a lot of these texts, just means there's a lot and we didn't bother to count them. So we can think when they say, oh, there's 72,000 nowadays. Well, I'm not going to be able to dissect out some strange energetic, you know, anatomy on you because it doesn't exist or does it? it does Well, it doesn't matter. The skeptics would say it doesn't exist. We can't dissect it. But if we were saying the body is permeated by something, we could say it's the branches and the smaller branches of the peripheral nervous system that people are beginning to get an experience of. These kind of like collated experience that if you can focus your attention finer and finer into the body, once again, this goes into our concept we're using in our uh, dissolutions, that then we can find, that we can focus and find this experience of the nervous system, all the kind of branches that feed back to the central nervous system. And we might find that if we were to explore a finger or a foot or something very small, that there'd be a lot of like individual things to find on it. So we're beginning to find these branches and these channels. So you can see where we're getting at. There's like, oh, someone had an experience. Now, this is my postulate. It's not, you know, I'm sure people, everyone is free to disagree with me on this, and that's perfectly fine, is that someone had an experience in meditation through body awareness and body absorption of their nervous system. And that they basically said, oh, I experienced the nervous system. I experienced some anatomical landmark. And then I you know, was able to translate this, explain this to people, and they were also to replicate the experience. And then it kind of built up, and maybe it was built up over progressive things. And we could see this even with the chakra maps, where no one, there's no actual agreement how many there is. We're going to use for the podcast, when I start talking about them later, we're going to use the seven chakra system because it's the most common one, but there's three, five, nine, 15, 14, minor branches of the majors and all this kind of thing. So there's kind of, there's not even a, a real agreement other than like what we get in Western kind of uh, new age culture about how many there is. So we can bear that in mind as well. But it is this kind of thing where someone had an experience of something or and then described it and then someone else agreed or backed it up on this kind of experience. So there is that to bear in mind when we go about this. We're going to start just talking about the 
chakras in order. And I'm just going to say, I went through them and it's kind of like, it's an interesting map of the body for me for these reasons. And I kind of just mapped them onto the, the anatomical features of the nervous system that kind of line up with them and kind of go like, oh, someone was trying to explain something that they experienced, but they didn't have the word nerves or nerve cluster or afferents or other stuff. So they just said, oh, I experienced this. So with our first chakra, the muladhara, if I'm, if I'm we're not going to use the names for most of them because I didn't bother, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Welcome to Ireland. Uh, we have generally it's represented by a square or four petals. Now, because we're sitting down on something in most of these meditation systems, when we're sitting down and you're trying to experience your muladhara, if we look at the transverse dissection of the perineal muscles, we're looking, we're basically like you're sitting down, you know, we could use the image of you're sitting down on a glass table and you've been, your skin's been stripped away and someone's looking in your perineum direction. There we go. So if we view this from the perineal muscles, we know that they form actually a rough square centered around the anus, if I remember right, with the iliococcygeus muscles and the superficial transverse perineal muscles forming a square. A lot of the time we'd also would see this, you know, because there's pressure on the seat, and this is one of the pressure points that we can actually get an outline of the muscles. It's the exact same way we can do it in massage, that like if I try to feel my forearm, I get a vague feeling of the forearm. Whereas if I rub my thumb over, then I can begin to feel the separation either in the muscles of the muscles themselves or with my thumb. So by being in pressure with that, we can get a feeling of this kind of square of the body. You can feel it out for yourself if you kind of focus and pay attention and trace out the the uh, trace out the the anatomy of the area with your mind. So there's that in mind, and that's kind of interesting because what we'll get to in the next kind of next one's up, because it's nothing to provide pressure or a kind of tactile feedback to what we're experiencing. As we go on, then we begin to get a bit vaguer into the nervous system. One of the interesting things is that the perineum, the perineum tracker or the base tracker, whatever you want to call it, the first one, is represented by a square, but a lot of the representations also have a triangle in this square. So the square is circumscribing a triangle. The triangle could, you now once again, this is my postulates, could represent the sacrum itself, which is also kind of a roughly triangular shaped bone. But it is generally represented by six pointed star or six petal lotus. And you know, if we think about it, like we could say, oh, is this the six branches of the sacral nerve that we're actually locking onto? So we have a kind of something anatomical where we can actually, once we our absorption into the body gets more complete, we begin to receive information from these kind of deeper nerves of the body and we might be able to count them. And someone probably did at some point, is my postulate here, and then it got transmitted, but then it became like, oh, a weird thought form that contains a lot of other things that we'll talk about in a bit. So then moving up to the solar plexus or the navel chakra, we will generally see this as depicted with 10 petals on a lotus with 10 petals. Now, this could be possibly detailing the 10 branches of the lumbar nerves that will be coming out in that area. So you can see we've still got something else. This is where it gets interesting when we move up to the heart. The heart chakra is generally represented, the fourth one, 
It's generally recommended by the 12 petals. The 12 petal lotus is the general recommendation we see there. And we would see that there could represent the 12 nerves of the heart. So the cardiac nerves, the vagus nerve, uh, the the whole ramus communicans, if I'm pronouncing that right. It could also represent the collateral or the branches of the six middle thoracic vertebra as well, just as a different feature that might be there. So these are kind of interesting. We're, see, we're getting a clear going like, oh, there's something that lines up with something that's actually here. And then it got advanced more. So the next one on our list is the fifth chakra, the throat, the throat chakra. Uh, this can be shown as having 16 petals, possibly representing the 16 branches of the cervical nerves. So just so you don't know, there is 16 branches of the cervical nerves and there's seven, seven cervical vertebra. There's an extra group between the C7 and T1. There's also another image for this one I like as well, It's which kind of outlines a point. That someone experienced something in the body and tried to relay it into something that you could try and find by comparison. He also has the image for this one in the throat as the many-storied stupa. A stupa is basically a tower, for those you don't know, you can obviously check it out on Wikipedia. Which we could relate these kind of stories of the stupa to the different rings of cartilage. And I think off the top of my head, there's 19, there's somewhere between 16 and 22 rings of cartilage, depending on how long your neck is of the trachea. So we could go, oh, we're trying to find something that kind of has a texture like a stupa, something we've seen before. Obviously, we can't cut ourselves open. We could, but maybe you'd only get one chance at that. And then it will go on. Now, the other one gets, this is where it gets kind of, in, it's all interesting. This is where it gets more interesting. So the third eye is generally shown as two-petaled lotus. And possibly, if we think about what's going on there, we could go, oh, the two sinus cavities are right behind in the area there. We could also say that there's a level of deeper absorption where we could feel the two labes, lobes of the brain. Whether you could actually do that or not is up for debate, but it's definitely something to think about. And then generally the the top, the crown chakra, the seventh one, is generally represented by the thousand petal lotus. Once again, thousand or ten thousand petals or whatever it was. It's generally like, once again, we're coming back to this big numbers what I said at the start is that we have a lot of numbers and we have a lot of nerves in the brain and it could just be that you someone had an experience of a clear sensation of the brain and all the nerves if you want to check this out you could check out some brain diffusion tensor images of the brain itself you can see the nerves in the brain it's very cool pictures check them out actually and you can see the kind of nerves and the kind of flowering and branching that might be going on by this experience so we have this kind of generalized map where someone must have had an experience of these things and kind of said, oh, let's line them up. I felt something that felt square-like down at the bottom. Okay, we'll depict it as a square. And then I'll go somewhere. I want you to sit there until you can feel the squareness and find the squareness. And this is a very old form of meditation, just body scanning, just getting into the body and scanning it and exploring it. It's what we do in the dissolutions. And it's very effective, as we know. And it's very good for building our ideas. At the same time... As the kind of, there's this kind of razor Indian that a lot of people began to put more and more things, particularly in the West, where they took this idea, a guy called Arthur Avalon, or Sir John Woodruff, he took the idea and he wrote about Indian spiritual, Vedic, traditional, you know, tantric philosophy, 
not talking about the old in-out, in-out tantra, but the older, the actual tantric system, as well as these kind of texts. And he kind of brought it to the West. Then there was this kind of, the imperialist Victorian times were very obsessed with this concept of the noble savages and forgotten knowledge and kind of older civilizations, Egyptians, Indians were deemed as holding a higher knowledge. And then they began to start putting more and more stuff into these systems so then we get this idea from a guy called charles ledbetter who started putting like they all ran with this idea of like oh there's seven chakras instead of finding loads of books that would disagree said there's four nine seven twelve fifteen four three whatever because it was someone's system of what they discovered it was just it got popular because seven let's face it, it's cool and then he put the colors of the rainbow onto them and it kind of got more and more where like if you go online now what could have been a simple body scanning meditation aid is now it's got like an aromatherapy specialist for the fourth heart chakra that was this color that you need to wear these shoes that you need to do this uh, if we think about my point of the podcast on this as we start this kind of exploration of the maps of the body we might hold is they could definitely be useful but at the same time because people are building off a system they didn't understand then when we get into more and more anatomy, then we begin to get possibly there's more holes or possibly we're beginning to take something and use it for something that was not meant to be used for. I hope that makes sense. So it's kind of like we're taking a description, trying to translate. When we're taking a description for one zone with its own ontology and way of thinking about things and then bring it into another zone, it might map exactly one to one. And then it also becomes a container and a trap for our words. So we're trying to explain what we're experiencing and at the same time using something that mightn't give us the words or the experience or the differentiation we need ourselves. I find this kind of idea of the chakras linking to the nervous system and its features kind of interesting because now we have a much clearer views of the body. We have some very cool anatomy views. We have structures, we have pictures, diagrams, CT scans, transverse slices, all these kind of things. So we could basically, if we wanted to have a interesting kind of play around, you could find some transverse CT scans, some segments of the body or at the same level of the chakras or in that thing. And try to go, okay, can I sink my awareness into a certain level of the body when I'm doing my body scanning? And then can I feel this? Can I actually feel it clearly? Can I feel the shape of the vertebra? We know what the vertebra shape is. We can get a very good picture that we could hold in the head. And then we can go like, oh, can I get into it and feel around? Could I, could I, instead of stretching my hamstrings, could I use the sensation of the stretch that I've gotten in whatever favorite position and try to feel the different sections of the hamstring or the different compartments? Can I feel which one is tight? Can I be more precise? And that's where it gets, you know, once again, these maps become interesting that we have maps of, you know, uh, we have these pictures that we can look at and we can try and translate those pictures into our own lived experience. Whereas before they only had someone's lived experience, which was translated into a picture. Then at the same time, you're trying to translate it back. Then the message or possibly the experience that the person was trying to guide it towards got confused and then it got thrown in on junk. And we can see this even like, I'm sure we're going to cover this obviously, but I'm sure a lot of you have 
experiences in basic anatomy or this, you know, this move, like isolation training, this movement does this. I'm doing bicep curls for my bicep, but my upper back is getting trashed because, you know, that's what, what the body is feeling it. So it's this idea, again, that's what I was kind of to get to more so than anything else, is that we have these maps that have been built up over time. The foundations of which might have been valid at certain points or in certain categorizations, but at the same time, a lot of the maps don't always apply in every situation. So we're going to be looking at some more maps of the body. I want to kind of go through earlier anatomy texts. We're going to look at some osteopathy texts, which are, they have a different map of the body as well, which is kind of interesting. And we can kind of look at them. Then for us kind of more general practitioners, the risk is that we begin to layer maps over each other. And we're looking at the plumbing when we're trying to find some houses. Then at the same time, we might know how to read the map. Uh, reading a map, particularly the sort of more modern science, is a very difficult thing. It's not a, it's not easy, or maybe it's easy for you. It's difficult for me. But at the same time, can we extract the useful information we want out of this map? So I hope uh, you know this is a brief podcast, sort of giving an idea of what we're going at and how we could have seen some of the maps. We're going to look at this topic over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to shift the podcast into a bi-weekly format. So I'm going to do one every two weeks, so I'm too busy to do it. We're also going to shift to audio only because it's just taking, once again, it's a time thing and I haven't got time to record, edit and do other stuff at the moment. For those of you who bought the Kickstarters, you'll find out why because the course is going to be amazing and the book will be amazing once it's done. And, you know, there's a few other projects that will be announced whenever we get to them. Uh, other than that... If you want to check out some more of my work, you can find me on modernmobility.com or emmettlewis.com. If you want to do some online training with us, check out modernmobility.com. Uh, other than that, I have been the Splits Wizard. We are back for another series, and I will speak to you in the next episode.